Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Jones. Um, I find that I start a lot of these shows by saying I told y'all I wouldn't complain about how cold it is up here. And I would like to note that I'm not going to complain about how cold it is. I am going to touch on something cold related that we had discussed previously, though. So it is, according to my little weather widget, it says it's 24 degrees outside. It feels a little bit cold in the 24 degrees outside, but they say it's 24. In fact, let me check this application on my phone. It got that feel like uh, measurement on it, which is really the part that we care about is the feel like. I don't care if it's 24, if it feels like it's oh, 17. Yes, we're on a feels like 17. And they say to feel like tomorrow morning at seven o'clock going to be nine degrees. Fahrenheit, just so you know. Anyway, I ordered delivery, you know, before I planned to do this wonderful show with you people. I answered the door. My man at the door looking like Noob Sabot, man. He the ninja in the black suit. He had that ski mask on, man. His whole situation was covered up here to here. Like, he looked like he was being um, oppressed by the, uh, like, monarchy in his Middle Eastern nation, except he's not a woman. You know what I mean? I was like, damn, it must be brick out there. If you walk in the streets like this and you ain't got, you like, look, if you shoot me, you shoot me. If you think I'm trying to stick you up, maybe I am. It's cold outside. That That's where we are now. With the temperature, just in case you guys are curious, like that's 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 where this cold situation has gotten to. And let me tell you something. This this is this again is not complaining about the cold. This is um, I just want to explain something to you. So you'd be riding the subway, right? And the subway gets to whatever stop and then the doors open and then you'll have some situation that for whatever reason, the train ain't going. And so you just going to be posted up there for a second. And so what the, uh, the the conductor will typically do is leave the doors open just in case somebody comes down the steps late or whatever it is, you know, and then you can get in the train. And I just want to say something to uh, the, the MTA conductors out there. If any of y'all are listening to this, man, fuck them people. It is time to shut the door. Shut the door. It's cold out there, man. Like these ain't no these ain't no thermoregulated situations in these in these stations, you did, right? Like if they was late, then they was just gonna be late. Clearly, another train gonna be on the way. The other train gonna be here regardless when you gonna do this. You understand? Cut that out. Cut that out. I was so mad today, man. I came down the steps at the subway and the train was pulling away, and I'm like, all right, no big deal. You know, I'll just catch the next one. I look up, man. Next one ain't coming for eight minutes, and it was brick. It was briggity brick, brick, brick. And I don't really like fully understand the architecture or whatever the term is that I need to describe what I'm talking about here when it comes to these subway stations. I just can't figure out how it is. Y'all can't get no heat up in there. Like, there's got to be a way, man. There's got to be some level of solution. I can't be out just sitting there nine, eight, nine minutes waiting on the train to freezing. Are you kidding me? That's what I'm saying, man. It ain't so much about the cold when you live here. It's about, um, like, being in it. Right? Like, it being cold is just kind of what it is. But you in it 
You in it here. People are like, well, Chicago got the L. Chicago got the L, but I feel very confident saying a high percentage of people in Chicago are out here whipping and driving cars than they are with us just out here at this subway station, just cold, just freezing. Then you sit down on the subway, man, and you can't even really get comfortable because everybody got a big coat on because it's cold. So we ain't even like, like sometimes you get on and you got a seat for your booty, but you ain't got no seat for your back because you got to lean forward because everybody got coats. And even skinny cat like myself can't even squeeze in there and get them shoulders there. Oh, thanks, Grant. Heat rises and it would just leave out of the stairwell. Probably a waste of money. Good job, guy. Good job. Why do a little bit to help us, right? What a buster. Anyway, let us move on to your questions. I've seen this get asked on Twitter and don't know whether you've answered it. But who has the best four album run in rap? And I did not answer this on Twitter because I honestly don't really feel like kicking it with y'all over there right now. Like I go over there and read. I don't really feel like sending. And I damn sure don't feel like being in no situation with no exchanges with y'all about y'all's opinions about music. I just don't feel like it. It's not fun anymore for me. I went and uh, talked at a class at a local university and a kid come up to me after and asked me about my top five MCs. I'm like, no, I ain't doing this. And then I felt like he asked me some other question. I think he asked me who the greatest was, and I think I told him KRS-One. And he was like, okay, I can accept that. I'm like, what the hell you mean you can accept it? What the hell was you going to do if it was somebody else? You can accept it. Yeah, that's exactly what you're going to do. And that's why I don't do that, because you're asking me to engage in something just so you can disagree. You're not curious. You're looking for more than I'm trying to give you, right? So anyway, I saw this thing, though, about the best four-album run in rap. And, I mean... I don't know how well some of you know me, right? I don't know how long some of you have been following me, but I feel like it's going to be pretty quick and easy before somebody gets in this chat room and knows what my answer to this question is. Uh, The first two people are wrong. Number three. They took the number three. Yes, the answer is outcast. (laughs) What are you talking about? The answer is outcast. First four outcast run is so cold that I could replace any of those first four with Idlewild, which I would like to remind you, once again, is wildly underrated, and it would still be the best four-album run. So, like, to me, when you start talking about the four-album runs like that, and I'm going LPs, I'm not letting you throw an EP in there, so I'm not putting Ice Cube in this, because Kill That Will is just EP. Like, we talking Outkast, we talking Public Enemy, um, we are talking Kanye West, we are talking EPMD. Um, like those are like the four that really jump out to me when we get to talking about like uh, st- uh, like the strong four album run. Uh, yeah, tribe ish. Uh, Daylight, I throw them in there. Although I don't love blowing mind state as much as a lot of other people do, but I do think it's a, I do think it's still a strong run because stakes is high. Stakes as high is a hell of a way to come in on your foe, boy. Woo-hoo! Stakes as high as bananas. Uh, let me think. Who else I'd be inclined? 8-Ball and MJG got a strong four. Scarface got a strong four. 
But the Scarface 4, it really depends. Now, are we talking about just your first four? Because the thing about the Scarface 4 is that it really kind of depends on how you feel like the world is yours uh, and the untouchable. And I don't, I like the world is yours more than I like the untouchable, but I don't really love the untouchable. Somebody mentioned the roots, but if you're going to do the roots on the first four, you got to put organics in and organics is good, not great. Like that's, that, that's, I, I stand good, not great uh, on the organics. T, I got a strong four album run coming out the gate. Uh, your various KRS one entities. That's a pretty strong run uh, coming out the gate. Jay-Z, I don't, I don't like volumes two and three enough to like throw him um, into this here particular discussion. Right. That's me. I recognize that some of y'all feel different. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. I know you hate it. <laughs> Look at this. Oh, okay. He's not trying to get me to make a list, but he is. Never mind. Okay, here we go. We're not allowed to laugh at R. Kelly. I'm hearing the memes are problematic. And I read a story, a link today to a post that was saying that the memes that were coming off of that R. Kelly interview that he did with Gail King on CBS this morning is that they're not funny. Okay. I understand like the general basis of such an argument. And I think the basis of it is that everything that is surrounding R. Kelly is not funny. Therefore, we should not make jokes of what we have seen with R. Kelly. Um, and I get that. I really do. And I think the argument that is made there is that the interview happened as it did. And it was indicative of a lot of like really messed up stuff with R. Kelly. And therefore it should not be repurposed in the name of humor. And like, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I kind of get that. I do. But you can't take the first time I watched that interview away from me. And I don't know if I should have to apologize for what my initial reactions were to some of those things that I saw in that, in that, in that interview. And this is what I'm going to tell you. No matter what, okay? You're going to have to at least, like, acknowledge, cop to this part, whatever it is, all right? That interview, which I can't believe happened in the first place, that interview looked like a comedian doing a skit about what it would look like if R. Kelly did an interview. Am I wrong? Like, are you telling me that that's not what it was like? Like, when that dude was like, because I beat my case. Dog, that was one case. That was one case. Like, did he think that was like the Rock and Jock case where he hit it and, and he wiped out 25 cases? 
Like what? Like 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 what in the world did he think? And see, this is the thing that R. Kelly. All right, if there's anything, not anything, because there's so many things, but this is a damning part of that R. Kelly interview that I think has been lost, which is it is obvious based on the things that he was trying to make like fly in that interview that it has been a very long time since he has had anybody around him who ever said, hey, dog, that don't make no sense. Like, he had no plan for anybody giving any pushback to that craziness that he was offering. None whatsoever. Like, I beat my case. This dude was like, the way I look at it is legal and not legal. What are you doing? Gail asked him, so he's like, he's like, you know, some, you know, some, some people, like some old younger women, like older men, some, um, you know, I was up and Gail's like, are you an older man who likes younger women? I'm a man who likes all women. No, 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 no. R. Kelly, R. Kelly, R. Kelly. No, 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 no. This like, like, this is not like, hey, man, I heard you be, I heard you be out here messing with white girls. And you're like, I like all women. No, this is not like that. Did like like that that no that's not gonna work in the way no 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 you can't do that R Kelly no 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 this is not for you like you know and not that R Kelly's self interest is something that I should be particularly concerned with but he at the very least was able to get to a place where he believed every word like I saw somebody said he's not that good of an actor no no I disagree he was a very good actor. What he is not is a good screenwriter. Like his script had holes, but his performance, I mean, that was coming from like the inside of his soul. Like he went to a place. He sounded like he believed every single word that he was saying. Every single bit of it. Then he went to that place where he started standing up and hopping up and down. Oh, no, 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 no. He went there. He went all the way in there. He was in the zone. Just talking gibberish. And this is where, I don't know if self-awareness is the right right thing to, 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 the right word or phrase, a concept to for me to invoke in this situation. But this is the other place that he went. And I was like, bro, I don't think you understand, like, no, no, no. This isn't going to work for you the way you think. Because he was like, how stupid would I have to be with me and my past to be doing all, you know, saying all the things about having women in his house? He's like, how stupid would I have to be? And the problem is he doesn't understand. Dog, people think you're stupid. Right? Like, I don't think it's fair to say that because he has this documented difficulty with reading, that that necessarily makes him stupid, right? That's probably a byproduct of some educational failure beforehand, right? Like, I know some really stupid people who can read. You understand what I mean? Like, you know, so I'm not, like, necessarily there. But you got to understand, man, if you like, you know, do you think I'm that stupid? And people are like, yeah, dog, they, they do. They do, right? Like, it's probably more that they think you're that depraved, you know, and they think you're that messed up. But do they think you're that stupid? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, R. Kelly, they do.
Like, that approach is not the one that you need to, do I really look like I'm that stupid? In the eyes of many, sir, you do. You have to understand this. And I'm saying you have to understand this to a person that somehow thought that going on CBS this morning was a good idea. And I would like to note, I got a question here about how exactly that interview came to be. Like, as outsized as R. Kelly's ego is, I bet you R. Kelly tried to take this to Oprah. Oprah a little busy right now, you know? But I bet R. Kelly tried to take this to Oprah, and Oprah was like, yeah, let me get back to you. Hey, Gail, you want to talk to R. Kelly? I don't want to talk to that fool. You want to talk to him? I mean, you, you can. Like, it's whatever. Like, I ain't even got time for that. And Gail's like, yeah, I'll do it. That's cool. Gail, like, you think that's the first time I had to talk to some dude that's out of his mind trying to pass me off some gibberish? And it was just flat out 100% gibberish. So, yeah, I have a bit of an understanding of why it is that people would say that repurposing that interview for comedic purposes is not like people don't see R. Kelly as something funny. And to be fair and honest about this, he has used us laughing at him as kind of a cloak for a lot of the stuff that he was doing. Um, So, yeah, I get where people are coming from. But it is very difficult for me to blame you if you decide that you want to find the jokes in that because the jokes just come and find you. Like they would, like, I just can't imagine like how in the world anybody would ever handle a situation worse than that. No idea. Like, I mean, if you his lawyer, like, what are you doing? I mean, because I imagine his lawyer was like, "Dog, I don't think anything a lawyer. If there's anything a lawyer gonna tell you to do is just to shut up, right?" And so I can't imagine, like, the lawyer just has to be like, dude, I tried to tell him not to. I did. I did. And then it happens, and you're just like, and here's my question. Is this fool going to get on the stand? Like, when this trial comes, is this fool going to be crazy enough to think that he can come in at the end of the day and save it by getting on the stand? Because I don't think that we can assume that he won't based on what we just seen. Appreciate the question. Let me see what we got here. Oh, wow. Somebody said, do you think Robert will try and sing on the stand? I had not considered that possibility, but I cannot put it past him. I can't see somebody said he shouldn't have been uh, doing the interview without his lawyer. He only had his publicist. Honestly, the lawyer has to be like, yo, man, I ain't going there with you. I can't have people thinking I was there. All right, here we go. Is it reductive to cancel slash write off Michael Jackson as as guilty, given the legit credibility issues of his accusers, both in the past and in the documentary? And does the current era allow for skepticism and for someone's guilt or innocence to remain in limbo? I mean, yeah, it allows your innocence or guilt to remain in limbo. I mean, that that's what it is. Like, no matter what conclusions people draw from watching Leaving Neverland, which I have not seen, um there's always going to be some level of question that hangs in limbo. Now, from what I've gathered, because, I mean, you guys know me, I don't really do recreational sadness. I haven't. Like, Michael Jackson don't mean to me what he means to a lot of people. So, like, there's not a reckoning for me to have with Michael Jackson. If if I ultimately come to the conclusion that Michael Jackson did what he was accused of, it's not really going to change my life. Like, I bought a Thriller and Off the Wall on vinyl a few months ago. But, I mean, if, if I don't listen to those again, okay, whatever. It's not the end of the world. 
Um, like he doesn't hold that place in my life. And so I talked about this on the right time, but I've seen this, that a lot of the things that I've seen written in the most like passionate things that I've seen people write about this thing with Michael Jackson is really coming from the standpoint of I was a huge Michael Jackson fan and I don't know what to do, which I think is interesting because in a a lot of these, it is at once going with the, I believe victims slash survivors mentality, but it is also the writer's centering self, right? It is, it is, it is centering what is supposedly the moral quandary of the person who was writing the story. And so many of these stories I've seen, they start with, I had Michael Jackson posters on the wall and what he means and da 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 and everything else. And the Jones is like, Michael Jackson just wasn't really, really hidden with us in that way. We are Prince house. If we're going to keep it real. Um, but it sounds like whatever the second part of the documentary was, that's the one that really, really, really hits people. Um, my thing is, I know enough about these accusers to have serious questions about their credibility. And the film itself is not about Michael Jackson. It is about these gentlemen and their stories. Now, that being said, I think it is a bit disingenuous to say that it's not about Michael Jackson because the whole reason that we're talking about this is that it involves Michael Jackson. The whole reason they could get it to Sundance is because it involved Michael Jackson. The whole reason that HBO will pony up for it is because it involves Michael Jackson. So, yes, this is this, this is about their stories, but you brought us here with Michael Jackson. There's no need for us to be dishonest about that fact. That's why we're here. And it is fair to ask the question about, like, what are we dealing with here with kind of the reputation of a dead man? Like, I think that these are general things. I also think that the questions that are fair to ask about Michael Jackson do not necessarily go all the way to did he sexually or however, in whatever way, abuse these young men as much as, yo, we we was giving that dude a lot of country. A lot of country. It's a lot of sleeping in bed with with boys and like yeah, people was really going for that. Oh, okay. Like think like like think about this for a second. Is, I talked about this. It's kind of like objected in plain sight. I talked about this on the right time. Where, like, if you watch abducted in plain sight at every turn, you're like, yo, why did you let that happen? Yo, what are you doing? What do you mean she just got in the car with you? Like, what with him? What do you mean? I mean, these are the same kinds of questions that you have about a situation with Michael Jackson. Like, if the idea of Michael Jackson was just like taking him on tour and laying in bed with him, like what? Like, like people were just cool with this for real. And so, like, there's that level of it that certainly is there. But, and I still need to watch it. But I mean, I've I've read enough things with enough people who are just like, yo, I'm not sure all this stuff. You know, this is the truth that's being pushed out in this, and I don't know. And again, I think that. We have taken the approach, and this is a this is a difficult thing. We say that we believe victims, and we need to establish a space where people f- saying the things that have happened to them. And the biggest fear, it appears, that most people have in those in those situations is that they're not going to be believed. And so, I understand the argument that we need to bend over backwards to make people feel believed when they say these things, but we also need to operate under the understanding that sometimes people make stuff up. And you can say that no person in their right mind would make this up, but not everybody's in their right mind. You know, like it is it is still entirely possible that something that has been alleged 
is not true. There is not a 100% like hit rate on accusations to like true accusations. And the rate, by the way, is really, really high. But it's not so high that we can just discount the possibility that somebody is not telling the truth. You know, and so that's that's kind of my take on it. And I don't know how you can feel comfortable, like, if you're writing about it. I don't really know how comfortable you can feel without a serious look at whether or not the things that are alleged are true. And it sounds like there's a lot of things in there that can't be faked. But there's also like a giant FBI file. I mean, it ain't like nobody tried to get Mike. They did. They absolutely did and came back with nothing. That's not to say that this something is that this isn't something because it's totally possible that it might be. I have just been surprised by how many people have not viewed the accusations through a more critical eye. Now, With that being said, I don't want to say I necessarily think anybody's lying because I'm not that informed on this, you know, but I've just looked at the way that it has been covered and it has been a bit surprising. And I think what has happened for a lot of people is that when the first accusations came around, like the 93 and the 05 ones, like when those accusations came around, I think that there were people who just dismissed them because they liked Michael Jackson and they let it go. And so I think that they are viewing this film also through the lens of their previous dismissals. And see, it's not going to hit me in that way because I didn't dismiss the allegations the first go around. I just didn't think they were true. And again, I'm not a stan. Like, I'm not a person that needed to maintain what Michael Jackson was. He didn't, I'm not, that's not me. Um, but, I mean, you can look at the 93 and 05 ones, man. They don't hold up. And so I wonder if those people who are watching this film now had scrutinized the previous allegations. I wonder if they would be so quick this time to express this guilt or remorse or whatever it was, or would they be more inclined to view this one with a critical eye because the previous allegations didn't hold up? Like, I think there's a lot that's going on surrounding this. And somebody said in the chat room was like, do we, are we going to boycott Michael? You do what the hell you want, man. Like, if somebody sees this film and decides that they can't listen to Michael Jackson anymore, okay. Like, that's your call. You ain't got to explain nothing to me, buddy. You ain't got to defend it, and you ain't even really got to organize this. R. Kelly was a different situation because people kind of needed to, like, put all his shenanigans to a stop. They were happen happening contemporaneously. Michael Jackson been dead almost 10 years. You know, so if you decide that you don't want to do it no more, I can't blame you. If you decide you're going to keep on listening, okay, right? I'm honestly not that concerned with what the hell you do. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. As a Prince fan, how did you feel about how Tour Bus framed his and Rick James robbery? Uh, this is the Tales from the Tour Bus thing Mike Judge has done. Check it out. It's pretty interesting. And But with the Prince and Rick James robbery, you know, the Prince and Rick James robbery involves a woman. I can't remember which woman, but it involves a woman. Um, it involves Rick and Rick. Uh, well, Prince was opening for Rick. Um, and Rick's people are adamant that every night on the road, they blew Prince off the stage. And by the way, I've heard this, you know, like this is, they, they're not the only people 
who have said this. And I think the other story is that Prince started ripping off what Rick was doing in his stage show, which I totally believe is Prince was the young guy. And Rick James was like, in fact, Rick James. So I could totally see that. Um, there's also a point where Rick got mad at Prince and said that what they stole the keyboard from Prince's band and that C keyboard had some um, synth lines already programmed into it. And I think that those wound up being on street songs. Like there's the, yeah, there's a whole lot to it. Rick's jealousy toward Prince was staggering because he really felt like Prince had bitten his whole style. And the thing was Rick was a lot older than Prince and it took Rick a long time to get on and Prince had gotten on young. Um, you know, it was like all kinds of levels there, but, the framing of their rivalry entail from the tour bus is again, not out of line with the way that I've seen that rivalry framed everywhere else. Like the resentment people had Prince at that point, like you go look at that, uh, James Brown birthday party with Jane, where Michael Jackson comes up there with print, uh, with James Brown. And then Mike calls Prince up and Prince does this kind of bizarre guitar thing. And nobody could tell what it was. Cause he was so nervous being in front of that room. And Michael Jackson loved every minute of it because Mike wanted to embarrass Prince. Yeah. All right. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. I tell you guys, we're going to need some more than what we got here. Hmm. School in Jersey band kids from getting limos and luxury cars for the prom. They have to take chaperone buses. Is this cool or terrible? Well, I mean, on one level, I guess there's, I mean, kids do a lot of stupid drinking on prom night, and I am at the age now where drunk teenagers petrify me, especially when it like involves potentially an automobile, so I can kind of see that. On the other hand, no, this is whack. Like, a significant part of the prom is, you know, borrowing the car to whip it or figuring out to get you a little money for a limousine or something like that. Like, you don't want to be out there. Like, you don't want to be on the prom bus with everybody. You just want to spend it with your girl and your people. It is not to be spent with everybody. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Wow, you guys just really just want to hang out here and just watch, but not put in your half on these questions. Okay, I see. Yeah, come on now. And then somebody comes in with a sports question. Somebody explain to them how this place works. All right, excited for Anderson Pack dropping another album. Yeah, so apparently another Pack album is coming out. Um, I'm curious to hear what it is. I don't know if excited is the right way to put it. My problem with the last Pack album, and I liked it a lot, but my problem with it was it's just a total absence of joy. And so you go back and like we have talked about this on here before. You go back and listen to Malibu, and then you go listen to Oxnard. And what you're going to see is a lack of joy. That positive energy is not there. It's kind of dark. It's kind of brooding um, in a lot of ways. And so if this next one has the joy that was missing from the last one, then I'll be down with it. You know? But, I mean, bring the band back, bring some wiggle back to it. Because Oxnard is not bad. Right. Like it's a it's a pretty good record. It just don't feel the same. That's it. It just don't feel the same. Appreciate. Oh, I listen to this. This is hilarious. So I said 
right? And this dude, Curtis, says, puts in a sports question. And then I say, it's no sports question. And then Curtis says, I know how it works, dude, with an exclamation point. Lance, can you get Curtis the fuck up out of here, please? Appreciate you. Here we go. You listen to that Solange album. I did listen to that Solange album. All right. So the one before this, the seat at the table joint, I thought that one was banging. I really, really, really like that album. I don't understand what the big deal is with this new one. And I don't know if this is one of those where people just ain't got to the point where they feel comfortable saying in public that it didn't really do nothing for them. But, like, I find myself listening to that and then look down and be like, damn, six tracks passed? Really? Like, it just kind of comes and goes. I do like the joint with Gucci. But, yeah, this is, it just, it just kind of came and went, like, as it's playing. Mm-mm. Didn't do much for me at all. Now, that new 2 chains, that joint's a bit of a banger. I have to say it's a bit of a banger. But no, Solange did not do anything for me. Like, I, I mean, and I know she's become one of these people that's really cool to say that you rock with, but it wasn't there for me. It just wasn't. Appreciate the question. Oh, by the way, somebody just put in the questions. They asked me if Bruno Mars was the new Frankie Beverly, and I don't know what that means. Who's this Russian in here that asked me if I listened to Alex Jones on the Joe Rogan podcast? Hey, how have we not kicked Curtis out of here yet? Like, is he still here? He said, I'm looking down my nose at him. No, man, you ask stupid questions, Curtis. Okay. Sorry about that. Wow, I'm trying to get us to at least 40 minutes, man, but y'all ain't really helping your boy out. Oh, here we go. I saw a thread on Twitter where they were arguing that Jada Pinkett's problem-solving approach was healthier than Ayanna Van Zandt's. Do you have an opinion on that? Hell no, I ain't got no opinion on that. My question about that is, like, who are these people you kicking it with that's arguing about these things? Like, I don't know. So... Well, Jada Pinkett got her little, sh- and I won't say little because I don't mean to patronize it, but she got her show. And what she had that Jordan Woods woman on there, and what Jordan Woods is the one that was friends with Khloe Kardashian, apparently. And then she was somehow kissed Tristan Thompson, and then it turned into a whole thing. And the Kardashian tried to destroy her, it appeared, like assassinate her character and stuff like that. And so then she went on Jada Pinkett's show because apparently Jordan got like some Hollywood roots or whatever. And they, and I'm, I'm all of it. I'm like, yo, why are, why are any of you paying so much attention? Like, you adults, grown-ups, why are you doing this? And we're all into some things that aren't really a big deal. But, man, we do not have to have, like, an opinion on everybody's stupid little relationship. I swear up and down, we don't. Now, I am not at a point, and I do sports for a living. I am not at a point of giving a damn about no Tristan Thompson, and I sure ain't really caring about no Khloe Kardashian. I'm, 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 no, I can't do it. I can't help you. I'm not there with it. So I was not going to go see how this matter got adjudicated or resolved. I had no need to keep up and participate in that conversation. That is me, right? So, no, I don't know. I did not watch Jada Pinkett try to solve this problem because I was not curious about the resolution of the problem. I was not. 
And so does she do it better than Ayanna Van Zandt? I damn sure hope so. I don't feel like that's a very high bar. All right, appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. I do notice, by the way, that when I ask for more questions, that often prompts more questions from the people who sent in the earlier questions that I also didn't want to answer. <laughs> I got to figure out a way to, <laughs> to improve this process. Curtis is still asking questions, guys. It's got to be a way we can keep him out of here. Let me see. Come on, Curtis. How do we, how do we like eliminate you from our life? Like all your questions stink. Rick Ross is writing autobiography. Would you buy that? Whoa, I am fascinated by this idea. So you're telling me that Rick Ross is going to tell me the truth about his life? Like his autobiography in quotations? Like, I don't know if I'd buy it, but I do think I'd read it because I'm wildly curious to see what he would actually tell us. Like, I read Scarface's autobiography, right? I feel like you could listen to Scarface's music and get a reasonable picture about the things that would be in his autobiography. It wasn't hard to see the connection. I have no idea what might be in Rick Ross's autobiography. It could be anything, anything at all. He could put out like six different versions of the autobiography, come to think of it. Ah, ain't that something? Appreciate the question. Hold up, I found, you know, good job, guys. I started getting some better questions in here. Where to go? Where to go? Where to go? Where to go? There we go. Did you watch the Sam Cooke documentary on Netflix? If so, what did you think? I did watch the Sam Cooke documentary um, on Netflix, and I thought it was very good. I realized that I had probably never seen that much or heard that much, like actually speaking. That's one. Two, I had some understanding of Sam and his business inclinations, but I didn't realize just how grand his ambitions were. Like, I knew that he was cool with Ali, but I didn't realize, like, with the Jim Brown stuff or whatever, like, he was making much stronger moves than I had recognized that he was making. I also thought that he died at, like, 38. I didn't realize he died at 33, which doesn't sound like maybe that much of a difference to y'all in your 20s, but that's a pretty big one. But... I had always known that there had been competing theories of what happened when he was killed and some questions about the plausibility of the story that was offered as to how and why he wound up being shot. But I had never given as much consideration as I had now as to how many people would have an interest in something happening to Sam Cooke. Um, Also, for those of you who are music history junkies, I will just tell you that there's a moment that I feel like should always have ominous music in the music documentary. And it came up in the Sam Cooke documentary. And that is the one where, and then he hired Alan Klein. One thing, by the way, um, like I see Bijan in the room talking about um, Otis got the emphasis on only publishing from, Sha- from, from Sam Cooke. And I am amazed that people have to get hipped to the idea of owning publishing. Like, doesn't it just seem like a great idea off the, off the strength? Also, one interesting thing, though, about Alan Klein, even though Alan Klein absolutely got 
um, Sam. Alan Klein, man, he got Sam. He got the Stones. Like, the people that he managed to get is a really impressive list. Um, he had a great year for people, like, to get. But the one thing about Klein with the Sam Cooke catalog is that he's always been very, very, very measured in what he licensed the catalog for. And some people have said that that was because of just the love that he had for Sam, maybe. But I also think the other part might have been he didn't want people to think that he had Sam Cooke killed. Because apparently, you know, right after, right before Sam got killed, he's about to go talk to Alan Klein about that money Alan Klein had got from him. Right? And so I wonder how that manages to play in. But then the flip side of it is, how much has like the legend of Sam Cooke been hurt by how tightly Klein has generally held on to the rights to Cook's music? This also means, and I never read the Ralph Wiley book on um, the making of Malcolm X, which I believe was entitled um, the making of Malcolm X with a million motherfuckers fucking with you. But anyway, Malcolm X has, all of a change is going to come. The whole song. The best use of music in a movie that I personally can think of, right? And so Klein had to sign off on that. And Spike had to pay for it. I need to know more about uh, how exactly that right there went down. All right, let me see if I got anything else. No, nah, we good here. Ladies and gentlemen. Thanks so much for joining us here on The Eden Jones. Try to do this thing about once a week, give or take. My man Lance Gilliam handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Uh, remember, if you cannot watch The Eden Jones live, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the iTunes store. Subscribe at Stitcher Radio. Check us out at SoundCloud. We are also at the Google Play Store. All right. Talk to you guys next week. Take it easy. <laughs>